Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Can y'all believe it that we're uh, coming up to the month of November here in just another week? It is fall, y'all. Hey, I heard this one. This is like a cheesy joke, dad joke. You know, when you come to church and it's fall, what do you say? Fallelujah. I, I don't know. I, I know. I saw. I thought it was funny. I was like, I'm allowed to get away with that now as a dad of two. But uh, no, what an exciting season that we're in. How many of you know this past month has just been so incredible as we kicked off the month celebrating the 44 years of ministry and, uh, and just what God has, has done over all these, over four decades. It's incredible. In these last several weeks, we've been uh, talking about the fact that if we're going to continue to have a legacy in the house, in this church, and I'm going to speak specifically to, the, to this house today. Somebody say this house today then it's, a, it's important to, to recognize that, as Bishop spoke several weeks ago, we can't be a church with fear. Right? Y'all remember that a couple weeks ago? No fear? Now, I'm going to get you talking a little bit. Tell somebody next to you, no fear. Now, tell somebody else so that you don't keep turning to the same person. No fear. <laughs> and then last week, we spoke to the future. We spoke to talking about the, the future and how faith becomes the vehicle to the future. Faith is what allows us to stop looking with the eyes of the natural and start seeing with the eyes of the spirit where God has called us to, who God has called us to reach, what God has called us to fulfill when it comes to the purpose that he has for our life. And I want to tell you today, if you're here for the first time, if this is your first time at church, if this is your first time at this church, we believe that God created you for purpose. And our message is that God is a good God, he loves you, and he wants you to be blessed in your purpose. Nobody was created by accident or mistake. You're not an afterthought. You were God's very first thought. When he had you in mind, he looked at you and he said, I am preparing and creating mankind to fulfill a purpose in this earth. And so God's whole heart for you, for me, is that we would live and lead. Now we talk about living a life of purpose, but also leading a life of purpose. Because your purpose should make an impact, not just in your life, but those around you. Everywhere that you step foot, when you're walking in purpose, you should be making an impact to the people that are around you. On the job, in your community, at home, in your neighborhood, at the store. Everywhere that you go, people should see the goodness of God radiating off of your life. And that's how we reach our world with life. That's how we make an impact in this world. And so as we've been going through this these last several weeks, talking about these different areas in, in, in legacy and, 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 and talking about how we got to be a church with no fear and how we have to be a church that, that is one that's moved in purpose, with intention, I think one of the biggest things that needs to be talked about, though, is the fact of what is our identity in the purpose. Let me tell you, the biggest problem right now, and this is not just in the church world, this is people in general, is we don't know who we are. We struggle with our identity. We struggle with, 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 with what we're supposed to do because we don't know who we are in the process. 
And so today I want to take a few moments and, and I want to go back to a scripture that we, that we talked about or that we spoke from a little bit. And I want to actually look at two passages this morning with you. And first I want to start off in, in, in uh, Peter, 1 Peter. We're going to look in chapter 2. We're going to read in verse 9 just to set the stage for where we're going. And then after that we're going to jump into the book of Acts. And we're just going to read a few scriptures there talking about the life of, of, of Paul. And we're going to see how this thing comes together and how it makes sense for us and how we can see ourselves in this process. And, and so we're going to jump into this thing. And again, if you're here for the first time this morning, we're so glad that you would take part of your weekend to be here with us at Abundant Life. Those that are watching online, we're so glad that you've gotten connected with us. I believe that today's message is going to touch your heart. I believe today's message is going to be one that the way we came is truly not the way that we're going to leave. We're going to leave seeing who we are in Christ Jesus today. And so as we get into this thing, we're reading First uh, Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, familiar scripture, we've read it before. It says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may, ooh, I like that. We were just doing a little bit of that. Proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light. Let me read that for you one more time. But you are a chosen generation. Say, I am a chosen generation. Say, I am a royal priesthood. Say, I am a holy nation. And then the scripture continues and says, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I want to speak to you from the subject line this morning, I am. If you're taking notes this morning and you need a title, I titled today's message, I Am. There's three I Ams in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and we just declared them all together. He starts off by saying, I am a chosen generation. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. Now, I know the writer is writing it in regards to us, but it's really a way that we need to speak that over our life. We need to make it personal. The scripture says you are, but it really it's a declaration for me to say I am. And I think the biggest problem is because we don't know who we are, we really don't know what we're called to do. But when I know who I am, then I know what I'm supposed to do. You know, I was reading, and this is the second passage that I want to pull up for you this morning, in the book of Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to read a couple of verses, and, and, and we're going to get to our focus point of the day within that title, I am. But... As I was reading in the book of Acts, there's this story about a man named Paul, but he was formerly named Saul. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, before he had a radical encounter with Christ Jesus, he was not doing anything that remotely reflected a life in Christ. In fact, he was doing everything the opposite. Under the name Saul, he was seeking out and whom he could kill who were standing up for Christ. He was a Christian killer. He was going into the churches and into the synagogues and into the gathering places looking for who he could persecute in regards to those that were trying to stand up for Christ, for those that were being bold in Christ Jesus. And so we see Saul, he's on this mission trying to kill as many Christians as he can in the process. 
And as he's on this road one day, and the, and the Bible says in, in Acts chapter 9 that he's on a road called Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus. A bright light is, 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 is shined to the point where everyone is blinded and they can't see, but they hear the voice of the Lord. And Jesus begins to call out to Saul saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then in the same breath, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a mission now. And it's going to radically change your life. And you're no longer going to be a Christian killer. But you're going to be one now that's going to be a Christian winner. You're going to go out and you're going to win the lost. You're going to go out and fulfill purpose. Let me tell you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything begins to change in your life. And so as he has this encounter with the Lord, the Lord gives him instruction now for what his new life, what his purpose is now going to become. And in that, he begins to release an identity because we find out that Saul's name changes to Paul. And so what we read here is in the book of Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. I just want to quickly read through these scriptures to get to what I really want to say. And it says this. Because as, as, as he was on the road and he encountered the Lord and he became blind, they led him to a man's house. And there Saul could not see anything. He was blind, but he knew what his mission and his purpose was. And the Lord spoke to another man named Ananias and said, you need to go to this house where Saul's at and pray for him. And so here's what we find out in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. His name was Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he had seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? And here... He has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. See, Ananias was only seeing his old identity. He didn't know the encounter he had in Christ. Let me tell you, there's people that still see your old identity because they have not witnessed your encounter in Christ. Because your encounter in Christ is not meant to stay inside these walls on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. service. Your encounter in Christ is causing you to go out into the community and let others know the goodness of God. To proclaim the praises of what God has done in your life. And so we find out here in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is my chosen vessel. He's my chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He's my chosen Gentiles to bear my name before those that do not know the Lord, those that walk in authority, and those that are in the religious circles. That's how I interpret that. He says, the Gentiles, those who are lost and far from God, the kings, those who walk in government authority, and those who are in the religious circles in the church. That is where our witness is supposed to reach. The lost, we should be making an impact in our nation, and we should be coming together making an impact with one another for Christ Jesus. And so then he follows it up with this here as Ananias prays for him. It says that scales falls off of his eyes so that he can see. And I want to pick this up in verse 20 because immediately when Saul's prayed for, 
his ministry begins. Because it says in verse 20, check this out. Immediately he preached the Christ. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the one who destroyed, who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for that purpose so that we might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelled in Damascus, proving that this is Jesus Christ. So what's happening here is immediately when Paul has an encounter, he's going to do the work of the ministry. I believe that for every, everybody, the moment you encounter Christ, you should be immediately a witness for the kingdom of God, a witness in your purpose, a witness on your job, a witness everywhere that you go immediately. And so immediately he begins to walk in this call. And everybody that's looking around him saying, wait, hold on a second. Hold on, aren't you not the one that was out there killing people? Weren't you not the one that was out there persecuting the church? Weren't you the one that was not out there doing all of these horrific things? Let me tell you, when you begin to discover and encounter your identity in Christ, the old is gone. The new has come. That's why I love what the scripture says, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Let me tell you, today, I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what you have done. I don't care what your past has looked like. I don't care what you've been up against. The moment you declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the old is gone. The new identity of who you are has come. You don't have to live underneath the guise of the old. This is why I love water baptisms. Because water baptisms is the outward expression of the inward decision. When I go beneath the water, I'm saying the old man, the old woman, the old me is gone. When I went underneath the water, religion was put to death. When I went underneath the water, sickness was put to death. When I went underneath the water, poverty was put to death. When I went underneath the water, brokenness was left there. Because when I'm coming out of that water, I'm coming out as a new creation. But as a new creation... As a new creation, you have to know what your identity is. Because it's not enough for me to say, I'm a new, I'm, what does that even look like? What's a new creation look like? I still look the same when I'm in the mirror. Maybe a few less hairs on my head. I find it like every couple of months, my wife's like, did you cut your hair shorter? I'm like, no. I'm not cutting my hair shorter. At this point, I don't think it's going any, it's not growing any further. We're, we're done here. But I still look the same in the mirror. So what does that mean to be a new creation? And that's why Peter writes this. He says, here's the identity. You want to know what you are as a new creation in Christ Jesus? It's found right here in the scripture that we just read. 1 Peter 2.9, the three I am's I want you to remember and declare, write down with all your heart. Never lose sight of this, that I am a chosen generation. Paul in that moment discovered I am chosen vessel to be used by God. I am a royal priesthood and I am to be part of a holy nation. Those are the three I am's. Those are the three I am's. And I want to look at those three different things that we read there in scripture today, starting with the first one. It says this, that I am a, what? Chosen generation. 
Peter says, you are a chosen generation. I'm a chosen. What does it mean to be a chosen generation? What does it mean to be chosen? Chosen is a choice. It was a decision that was made. And it's important to see that when God looks at you, he says that I chose you. Now, we know the scriptures say before the foundations of the world, we were chosen for our mother's womb. We were formed, all that great stuff. But what does that mean? The word chosen means to be the top choice, first in class. All right? You are the first in class. You, you, you were not the, the, the economical Mercedes decision for the street because it was affordable. God put the highest sticker price on you because he said you're the top model, the top class. You're the top choice. You're the first priority when God looks at you. It's not like back in the day, you know, when, when, when we were doing like school games and playing kickball. And y'all know how it goes down. And you got two teams. And what do you do? You select the good players first, right? You get into this thing, getting ready to play like a squid game. And, and you say, um, I'm going to take this person because you've got the strength and the skill. And you've got the mental wherewithal to deal with this. And I don't know about you. Um, y'all remember that growing up? And then you get down to the last person, and it's like, well, I guess I'm really not a choice. I'm just an afterthought. Listen, this is how we treat our life when it comes to Christ Jesus, because we let the guilt, we let the hurts, we let the hang-ups, we let the, the people, we let things to cause us to feel devalued that we no longer see the value that Christ placed on us. And what he placed on you was the highest value. When Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross for you, it wasn't so that you could have a subpar life. It wasn't for you just to get by. It wasn't for you to, to hopefully be able to make the payment on your bills this week because I'm struggling financially. No, God wants you to thrive. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be in good health even as you're so prosperous. He wants every part of your life to reflect who he is but in this earth. And so he says, I chose you. Now, here, here, this is so important, and you need to get this this morning. There's a difference between being chosen and being called. And both are necessary, and both are valid, and both are, 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 are things that God has spoken over our life. There is a calling upon your life. Everyone in here is called by God. Everyone in here is called by God. Make no mistake about it. You have a calling upon your life to do great things in this earth. You have a calling upon your life to be a witness of Christ's goodness, of God's goodness in this earth. But the difference between being chosen and being called is someone who is chosen is someone who decided to answer the call. Because I can choose to say, hey, I'm going to get ready, Raul, to give you a million dollars. And he, he's like, amen. And I can call him and let him know that I chose you. And I can call you. But if he doesn't pick up the phone to answer, it doesn't matter if I chose him. He's never going to get that million dollars that I have for him. It might be Monopoly money. I don't know, Raul. <laughs> the difference between chosen and being called, are you willing to answer the call? See, Saul had an opportunity to not even answer the call. He could have he heard Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? Why are you per and, he, and he could have said, I'm not persecuting you. He could have said, I'm not going to go to that house that you called me to go to. 
But the difference is, is that he made a choice. You have a choice whether or not you want to walk in the call of God or not. The call of God still stands, but you have a choice whether or not you're going to allow yourself to be the chosen people of God. A chosen generation. Notice how I didn't say chosen generations. He said chosen generation. It's not that God was trying to pinpoint a specific generation, but God's not looking at generations. He's just looking at his people. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. He's saying you are part of my chosen people. I have chosen you. I made a choice and placed a value upon your life. But you might, you might say here, but you know what? But I'm not good enough to be chosen. Let me tell you, it's not about your gift. God's not choosing you because of your gift. He's choosing you because of the calling. If this was strictly about gift, let me tell you, I wouldn't be up here. There's many other people that can preach way better than I can. There's many other people that can, that can teach God's word way better than I can. There's people that are even sitting here today that is a better communicator. There's people that are sitting here today that, that can, that can uh, 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 communicate the word of God better than I can. I mean, when Bishop comes up in here, he's got 27 principles of vision, like, in his pocket. He's ready to whip them out and throw them at you. I'm lucky to have two points on vision on a happy day. And most likely they were his points. I can't get up here the way the Pastor Reese does, and, and he's like a live wire. If you, if, listen, if you want a jolt of, of, of just the Holy Spirit to rock your world, put a mic in his hand. I can't touch that. That's the gift. But you know what? If it was simply about the gift then I could just hand this microphone over and sit back in and, and just be in the congregation with everybody else. But it's not a gift. It's about the calling. It's about a calling. And so, so if I get upset and I get competitive because I'm comparing my gift like many of us do, then I'm going to compromise my call. And when I compromise my call, then I'm not going to answer the call, which means I'm not going to walk chosen. So it's important to understand there's a difference between the gifting and the callings. To each one of us, we've been dealt or been given gifts. Thank God, the gifts is to help enhance the call. But the gifting is not the call. David played a harp, but he wasn't called to be a musician. He was called to be a king. Peter was a businessman. His gift was to catch fish, but his calling was to catch men. So if you're looking at your gift and you're trying to compare it to others saying, well, man, you know, if only I was good as them, then I could really walk as a chosen generation. It's not about them. It's about you and who you are in your identity in Christ. I was thinking about the fact that when our, when our church started, my grandfather started the church, Abundant Life. Did you know that there were several other men that were called to start a church in Margate and they refused the call? And when the Lord spoke to Bishop Woody and said, I'm calling you to go back into ministry today, you need to make a choice. It was the obedience of a man in the call that was upon his life that allowed Abundant Life to be a chosen church in Margate. It's the obedience to the call. Obedience to the call is what allows me now to walk chosen as a chosen generation. Somebody say, I'm chosen I love the next one that it, that, that, that it says on there is a royal priesthood. 
I want to unpack this one for a little bit. I was spending some time yesterday praying, and I was reading through and, and going through this scripture, and the Lord was giving me some really interesting insight about this particular phrase here that talks about being a royal priesthood. And if you look it up, royal or royalty is of kingly status. Everybody likes that. But can I tell you the identity is not that you're royal. I'm going to mess some people up this morning. Your identity is that you're part of a priesthood. In fact, the word royal here is actually pertaining to the area of the king's court. It's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom. And so when we say I'm a royal priesthood, what it's actually talking about is royal, is that you're a representative of the kingdom. And see, because we'll read this, and a lot of times, and this is how I've heard it uh, in different settings talked about, is that you're royalty. And I believe that, yes, we're royalty in the eyes of God. But this particular line of script right here is not talking about royalty that you're a king or a queen because there is only one king, and he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And I love how we walk around, I'm a king, I'm a queen, king, queen. Like, no, you are a royal priesthood and the order of the Lord, and, and the word royal is pertaining to the kingdom. The word royal is talking about the atmosphere that you represent. And as a chosen generation, what do you represent? If you're chosen in Christ and you recognize that I'm going to answer the call of God upon my life, and I see my life chosen in Christ, now what am I representing? Am I truly representing the kingdom? Because the royal in this is the atmosphere. The royal in this is the representation of the kingdom. The royal in this, let me give another word that Paul uses, is an ambassador. And he says this uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The best way that I can put it is this. Because the phrase says royal priesthood. I, God forbid I even ask anybody if you're Dolphins fans in here. That would just go down south. <laughs> so I'm just going to use one and no, no bias opinions. Don't get mad at me. I'm just throwing one off the top of my head. Dallas Cowboys. I, don't, don't boo me. Hey, I'm just the messenger. I'm about to walk off this stage. Y'all just turned your ears right off. You think of your team of choice, right? Dallas is the location. Cowboys is the representation. Miami is the location. Dolphins is the representation. Royal is the kingdom. It's the location. Priesthood is the representation. And as a representative, as a representation of the location, am I bringing the kingdom everywhere that I step foot? And so when you can see yourself as an ambassador, an ambassador is one who stands on behalf of the kingdom that they are representing. I even love it today. I was scrolling through Instagram, not this morning, but a little bit ago. And, um, you know, I, I love the decade that we're in because it's all about athleisure wear. Maybe some of you are rocking some today, this morning. And that's okay. I love it. I, if, if it's not Sunday, I'm in athleisure wear. 
You know, I got my, I got my Lululemon on point. Some of y'all ladies got your Athletica. You know, I'm not here as an ambassador for them, but for the illustration, I think it's great because there's a lot of these new pop-up athleisure brands. And so what do they seek to do to get recognition? They look for ambassadors. So in a, on a particular day, you're liable to open up the gram and get a DM that says, hey, I've been checking out your profile. You look like a perfect fit for this new athleisure line. Let me send you a few cuts of this, and if you just tag it, we'll blow your social media up. Right? And so then next thing you know, you get a package in the mail. Oh, this is great. I got some new, some new athletic pants <laughs> that are meant for me to work out in, but I'm just going to power walk around the mall. I could break a sweat. <laughs> oh, but don't forget, though, because when they hit you up about this whole process, you had to make sure that first and foremost, that if you're going to be part of their brand, that you have to help them market their brand. So you need to put on head to toe whatever it is that they sent you, take a photo of it, hashtag it, and let the world know that I represent as an ambassador. And so I love some of the photos, too, right? You know, we tuck our arms back. God forbid they see the backside of our arms. We kind of concoct our body this way, right? Right, and if you really want some calf motion, you can do like one of those things. And then to polish it off, you get to duck face it. And to get the right slimming angle, I hold it up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know, I know the truth. And I'm going to give you some truth, and it's going to set you free. Because when we see you in person, it looks like nothing I see on the gram. What are you an ambassador of? Lies? But that's like us in church, though, right? I'm supposed to be a royal priesthood, an ambassador. And the thing is, is that I've tried to posture and position my way on Sundays to make everybody see me as the perfect ambassador for Christ. But when I go back into my regular work week, everybody sees the flaws, everybody sees the lies, everybody sees the things that aren't really of God because I haven't really made a decision to walk in the calling of God. So... It's important that if we're going to be an ambassador, and, and, and hear me, I'm not saying that you got to be perfect. God's not looking for perfect people. God's looking for obedient people. God's looking for people that see the calling. He don't care whether or not you tuck your arms back and twist your body in a way. He doesn't care about all of that. But when it comes to your spiritual life, when you're called to be a witness, if you're faking it, I'll tell you what, this generation right now can spot a fake a mile away. They're not looking for the church Sunday Christians. They're not looking for a formatted service. They're looking for people that are real and a real representation of who Jesus is. And it's important that if we're going to be the chosen people of God, and if we're going to be the royal priesthood, then you need to be real in your royal priesthood. Royal is what I represent, but priesthood is who I am. And it's important because when we look at this phrase, we can understand the word royal, but many of us, we don't understand the word priesthood. And the word priesthood is so powerful because, see, in the Old Testament, there was a divine order of the priests. It was God's chosen people in which they had three responsibilities. 
In the Old Testament, the responsibility of the priest was to keep order, to make sure that there was order. As the church, we should be keeping order of what's going on in the world today. We should be the ones that is the authority in the earth today. The second thing that, that, that the priest did was that they had access to the holy place. As the people of God, we should be accessing the presence of God everywhere that we go. Everywhere that we go, it should be the presence of God in our life. When people look at us and, 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 and they see, man, there's something different about you. It's not because you said something particularly great. It's not that you did something particularly profound. It's the fact that the presence of God is so strong upon your life that they can't turn away. When Moses came down from the mountaintop after being with God, after being in his presence, his, his face had so much just glory. That's the only word that I can think of about it right now. It was so red. It was so lit up that they had to put a cover over his face. People, people would have gone crazy if they, if they, if they would have seen his face because the presence was so strong. Can we be a church that can have the presence of God so strong upon our life? The third thing when it came to the priesthood or the priests, they were responsible, ready for this? For sacrifice. For sacrifice. And in the New Testament, Jesus becomes the high priest. And in the New Testament, not only does he become the high priest, but he becomes our sacrifice. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12:1 when it comes to who we are in Christ. He says, I beseech you, brothers, now therefore present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before the Lord. I want to tell you this, is that it's our responsibility to live a sacrificial life in a day, in an age where we're all about mine and me. It needs to be about him and reaching our world with life. We have to live our life sacrificially. So what if you didn't get your parking spot this morning? So what if you didn't get your seat that you normally sit in this morning? Is it not worth it for somebody that is new, that's never known God or experienced God, to have a moment? Sacrifice. The priests, they kept the order. They had access to the presence of God, and they lived in sacrifice. Jesus came to be order, to bring order. He came so that we could have relationship with him, that's presence. And he came to be a sacrifice so that we can live an abundant life in him. Our responsibility as a chosen generation in a royal priesthood is to bring order, is to carry the presence of God, and to live a sacrificial life. Whose life can I impact today? What seed can I sow today? Who, whose life can I change today with a kind word or a kind gesture or a kind act? Who, who, who can I make it? Who can I call today? Who can I text today? Who's been so afraid to come to church that I can just encourage them and let them know that it's going to be all right? Who can I make an impact with or for today? You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. I, I can't see myself as a priest, but Sean, you don't understand. I'm anything but priestly. What in the world would qualify me to be a priest? Colossians 1 says this, that you are qualified 
and translated us from the kingdom of the darkness and into the kingdom of his son's love. That now we are partakers. God, what do you mean he qualified me? He qualified me because he loves you. If nothing more, I need somebody to hear this today. There's somebody that's coming to service today and you're contemplating suicide. You're contemplating giving up. You're contemplating going another step. You feel like everything has fallen apart and you're wondering, how can I even dare continue to go on? And for some reason, you came here today at church saying, this is my last bit of hope. And I'm here to tell you that God loves you. I'm here to tell you God loves you. You don't have to follow through. You don't have to go in that direction. He loves you. He chose you. He cares about you. Ephesians says this, that we would understand and know the incredible greatness of his love, how far, how wide, how tall, how deep his love was. I want to tell you, you can't outrun God's love. You can't contain God's love. You can't measure God's love. God's love is so big and so wide that it covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of mess because he loves you today. And he's qualified you to be a partaker of his goodness. You've been qualified. You've been chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're not qualified because of your gifts. You're qualified because of his love. Because he loves you. The last part that he shares in this scripture, and I'm going to close with this this morning, is in the third I am. Again, he says, I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. And this last one, he says, I'm a holy nation. Holy nation. The word holy means to be set apart. You're, set, you're called to be set apart. You're called to not look like the world. You're not called to look like your old self. You're not, you're, you're not called to live. Like you're called to be set apart. And as the church, when we can separate ourselves and, and know that we are set apart as God's special people. One translation says peculiar people. Another translation says special people. Another translation says his own perfect people. We are God's. And he wants us to be a holy nation. The Bible says this in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 25. And Paul's directing this towards husbands and wives and families, but he makes this little clause in here, and I think it's amazing. Verse 25, for husbands, this means you need to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, set apart and pure. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. He called to make her to be set apart. Jesus came that we could be set apart from the old way of living. He came to make us clean that no matter where you are in life, in a moment, God can renew your life. He can make you pure. He can make you whole. He can make you clean. That yesterday can stay in yesterday, but today can become new in the Lord. But then he says this, that you'd be a church without spot or wrinkle. And I love these two words. Because the word spot 
without blemish means a church that is successful, a church that's prosperous, a church that's walking in blessing. How many know God wants you to be blessed today? God wants you to be prosperous today. God wants you to be successful today. God wants you to increase today. That's why it said in the, in the, in the story about Saul, he increased Immediately, he went out and did the works of the Lord because he recognized he was chosen. He was a royal priesthood. He was a holy nation. Therefore, he increased. And when you see who you are in God and you begin to walk obedient in the call of God upon you, you're going to increase. I'm here to tell this to the church this year, to Abundant Life Church this year. We're going to increase. 2021 is not a year of decrease. It's going to be a year that we're going to see the increase. The year's not over yet. We're in the last quarter, but the year's not over yet. We're going to see the greatest blessings, the greatest outpouring, the greatest increase, the greatest prosperity. People that have lost jobs are going to find better paying jobs. People that have been sick are going to walk in wholeness and healing. Those that have loved ones that have been far from God are going to come near to God. This year, I declare, is a year of increase. Without spot without lack, without brokenness. But then he puts this other little word in there, or wrinkle. Anybody got some wrinkles in here? I'm starting to notice this, like, crease across my forehead. Like the ambassadors on Instagram, I'll have to touch it up with a filter. (laughs) The word wrinkle... It means without wrinkle, ageless, 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 ageless. Why is this so important? Because it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter red, yellow, black, or white, young, old, ageless, ageless. And ageless isn't just pertaining to age. Age is talking about who you are and where you are in your life. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. Ageless. God is coming back for an ageless. How do we become ageless? It's simple. When I answer the call, I become a representative of the kingdom, and I live my life in the order of the priesthood. When I live my life sacrificially, when I live my life to access the presence of God, and when I bring order. See, man, you keep saying order, Sean. You want me to go in my job to my boss and bring order? Maybe you need to go home to your house first and bring some order. Maybe your children need some order. Maybe you need some order. Maybe you need to bring order to yourself because the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your self-righteousness. You get yourself right. How do I get myself right? Righteousness is to be in right standing with God, to be in proximity, to be close to God. To humble myself and say, God, man, I know. I'm not perfect. I know I've messed up. I know I've blown it, but I know a moment in your presence and everything can change. He says he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. She will be holy and without fault. The Bible talks about how Jesus, he's the bridegroom and the church, that's why it says she The church is the bride. Can I tell you that the groom still cares about the bride? Can I tell you you that Jesus still cares about the church? Can I tell you that, that, that the groom hasn't given up on the bride yet? 
the groom's just been calling on the bride saying, hey, I chose you, by the way. Are you not going to show up at the altar here? Let's do this thing. Come on. I want you to know that I have got a future prepared for you. I've got a plan prepared for you. i got a purpose set in motion for you. I care about you. I love you because that's how much God cares about his people. You're his own special people. You're his. But the question today, is he yours? Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.